Our gospel reading is Luke 9. It is an important turning point in the gospel of Luke. For those who wish to follow along, the pew Bibles are there in front of you. Hear the word of God. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, and on their way they entered a village of the Samaritans to make ready for him, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples James and John saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them. And then they went on to another village. And as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. And to another, he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, Let the dead bury their own dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim the kingdom of God. And another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at home. And Jesus said to him, No one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. In June of 1776, we all know well that Thomas Jefferson wrote a draft of the Declaration of Independence that was eventually approved by the Continental Congress on July 4th. And we know this document speaks of inalienable rights, of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Now, when Jefferson wrote these words, we can only guess what he had in mind. Some say that he got these ideas from John Locke, the English Enlightenment philosopher, Others say they came from somewhere else. But clearly his notions about happiness are 237 years apart from often the ways you and I pursue happiness. What makes for happiness today is in many ways different than those early American struggles, those days of the colonies. Well, many things have been said about the American effort to pursue happiness And the idea of an American dream has been championed and criticized, has been saluted and satirized by politicians and philosophers and writers and regular people like you and me. There's been a myriad of efforts to wonder about this so-called dream. For example, I'm living proof that the American dream still exists. It is still alive and well, and there's only one trick. You have to be willing to roll up your sleeves and work very, very hard Celebrity chef Paula Deen. What is the American dream? The American dream is one big tent. One big tent. And on that big tent, you have four basic promises. Equal protection under the law, equal opportunity, equal access, and fair share. The Reverend Dr. Jesse Jackson. America is the land of opportunity. Reach out and seize it said President Dwight David Eisenhower. The dream of Martin Luther King for me represents the best the human being can hope for, a world of peace, a world of development, a world of respect, a world where all men and women are valued, none 
higher than the other, none lower than the other, because of his or her color, or his or her race, or his or her religion, or cultural persuasion, poet and professor Maya Angelou. If proud Americans can be who they are and boldly stand at the altar with who they love, then surely we can give everyone in the country a fair chance at that great American dream. First Lady Michelle Obama. The road to success is not easy to navigate, but with hard work and drive and passion, it's possible to achieve the American dream designer Tommy Hilfiger. Now, I'm not standing here suggesting a representative spectrum of thinkers. The American dream may be far more complex, while others may think it's far more simple. It may be about money or success or acceptance for many. Now, we will not have a sociological discussion here about its implications, but I think these people are key witnesses to the reality of an American dream for some who like to think in those terms. Now, I raise this issue in the face of a national holiday. I raise this issue in light of my own conviction that the church has a dream, and the dream is the kingdom of God. Well, this morning, we read of Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. And the opening verse of our reading from the gospel is Luke's insight about what is actually going on with Jesus. He describes the way Jesus undertakes his mission. His words sound like Isaiah, therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. Now now what follows are two significant episodes. And in the first, Jesus sends an advanced team to a Samaritan village to prepare for meals and lodging. In the next, we hear dialogue with would-be disciples who want to come along and follow Jesus on the way. And these episodes give us first gospel, and then challenge for our own mission here. They offer us good news and invitation as part of God's dream, and they speak to our mission as God's people, people who are part of God's dream, to know Christ and to make make Christ known in this city and this world, the mission of Second Presbyterian Church, Richmond. Now, I've mentioned this mission before. I I think it's a a spot-on mission. I believe it's likely the mission of every church. It is one that I personally appreciate and, and am committed to, no matter where I am and which church I serve. As July 4th approaches, I, I believe it is appropriate as American Christians to wonder about the ways we engage with the world, the dream God keeps giving us. I believe there's gospel here, and there's invitation for us to consider. Let's begin with the gospel. Luke describes Jesus being taken up. And the words of verse 51 convey the, convey the whole journey to Palm Sunday, to the temple, to the so-called trial, to Jesus' arrest, to Gethsemane, and to his, to his arrest and trial, to his death and his Easter appearances with the disciples, and then on to Emmaus. With verse 51, Luke starts the second half of this gospel. And until now, Jesus has done ministry in Galilee. And then there's a turn. And it would seem we are looking at Jesus ascending to Jerusalem 
for the culmination of his ministry, the culmination of what he gives the world. In some ways, we get an overview of this journey in which he gives his life. And at this very moment, Luke says Jesus sets his face for Jerusalem. It is as if we can see in Jesus' very own eye the very climax of this gospel story. John would say this another way. He would say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but will have eternal life. So this verse 51 in Luke 9 is an important moment for us to pause, to pause with Jesus and just to stand there at what what is in his eye. It is an important moment because the energy and devotion and faith and love and commitment of Jesus is in this verse. And it is important for him and it is important for those who follow him. Well, I said that gospel is not only heard in Jesus' commitment, it is seen in this rejection in Samaria. Two disciples go into the Samaritan village to prepare the way for the rest of the group. And the Samaritans take offense at this band of Jews on their way to Jerusalem. Not the first time the Jews regard Samaritans infidels. They don't want Jews in their village. No need for them to be there. The disciples want to call down the wrath of God as Elijah might have done. But Jesus has not come for wrath. He rebukes his disciples for thinking such. And he teaches them that he has come into this world to love and not to pour down the wrath of God. And so they move on. Fred Craddock, the scholar from the Candler School of Theology, comments about this rebuke. Is it not interesting how the mind can grasp and hold those scriptures which seem to bless our worst behavior and cannot retain past the sanctuary door those texts which summon to love, forgiveness, and mercy? Another scholar says, does Jesus entitle one to do injury? Does being right or having a holy cause justify the use of force or violence? Jesus does not advance his cause with violence. He gives himself. He gives his life. And so here then is the gospel. God loves you and me in the devotion of this young teacher from Galilee. We can see it in his eyes. He prepares to ascend the road to Jerusalem for you and me and the world. We also see it in the grace and care he gives those who do not even know who he is. And so after Jesus' resurrection and ascension, after Pentecost, when the disciples begin to disperse and go throughout the world, Samaria, perhaps even this very village, is one of the places the disciples of Jesus Christ go with the good news of God's love. So not only is there gospel, there is also invitation. An invitation, in invitation, there is a challenge to be disciples, to be people of a certain discipline. When I was in school, and I suspect when you were in school, or as you may be in school now, it is not unusual that we be corrected by our teachers. In fact, you know, some see that as a good thing. When did that ever stop being a good thing for those who need to learn and grow? What we recognize here is Jesus saying 
to people who misunderstand what it means to be a disciple. A clear insight. Jesus says to the first volunteer, I am totally dependent on the hospitality of others. Are you willing to be? He says to the second, loyalty to me takes precedence over a primary filial obligation. And to the last one, I expect more than Elijah asked of Elisha. Go back and read 1 Kings 19 and you will see Elijah allowed Elisha to go and tell his parents goodbye. Now, where's the, where's the good news here? Eugene Peterson, pastor and scholar who paraphrased the Scripture in the message, speaks of the ascetic Jesus. And this is what he has to say about negatives. The negative is our access to freedom. Only humans can say no. Animals cannot say no. Animals do what instinct dictates or what training embeds in them. No is a freedom word. I don't have to do what either my glands or my culture tells me to do. The judicious, well-placed no frees us from careening down a blind alley, from bushwhacking through many a rough detour, frees us from debilitating distinctions and seductive sacrilege. The art of saying no, says Eugene Peterson, sets us free to follow Jesus. And so Jesus teaches these candidates for discipleship the importance of saying no. Nevertheless, the words we hear Jesus give these these people sound jarring and subversive. They sound hard to take. But the words, while they may be off-putting, it is unlikely that Jesus followed a strict asceticism himself. Perhaps a more helpful way to make sense of these ideas is that Jesus is saying when loyalty to family and community and tradition claim first place, disciples will compromise the call of their lives. So what? What does this have to do with our own call to Jesus, to know Jesus Christ and to make him known in the city and world? Well, first of all, there is energy and there's devotion here that is important. I hope you feel it. I hope you sense it in that verse. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, the Lutheran pastor and theologian, was invited to Union Seminary in New York in 1939, and Reinhold Niebuhr wanted to get him out of Nazi Germany. Bonhoeffer was invited to do ministry with refugees in New York and speak across the U.S. about the church in Germany and what was going on across Europe at that time. After much prayer and struggle, he wrote his friend Paul Lehman in Chicago on June 30th, 1939, he wrote, In the meantime, everything has been decided and set in order with the confessing church in Germany. I return in July or August. I certainly regret it in some ways, but on the other hand, I am glad that I shall soon be able to help again over there. I am drawn back into the struggles of my brothers. As a disciple moved by devotion to serve God, Bonhoeffer set his face for Germany set his face for his own mission. And he returned to join the struggle to free people from the ignorance of Adolf Hitler. In two years' time, he had been arrested. But like Bonhoeffer, we can bring energy and devotion to the mission God gives us. Secondly, there's an invitation for us to be disciples. We have the opportunity to to listen and learn every time we gather in the sanctuary, but especially every time we gather in the chapel on Wednesdays at 5.30. 
if you haven't taken advantage of that service, as a temporary supply pastor, I encourage you to do that very thing. Also, I bring as witness all adults who in the last year have been involved in some educational ministry in the life of this congregation, whether they are circles or classes or discussions. And I hope you've read in the newsletter about this grand opportunity for Bible study that is coming our way in the fall, second choice. It is a great opportunity to be like these disciples, to gather close to listen to Jesus, to learn from him his no and his yes about what it means to serve. There is for many an American dream, dear friends, that regularly moves them through life. I once heard these words, if you want happiness for an hour, take a nap. If you want happiness for a day, go fishing. If you want happiness for a month, get married. If you want happiness for a year, inherit a fortune. But if you want happiness for a lifetime, help someone else. Well, the church has a different kind of dream than the American dream. It is found in this journey to Jerusalem, experiencing the gospel of Jesus Christ and his invitation to be disciples. And it is a call to you and me to believe the good news of Christ and to devote ourselves to this mission, to know Christ and to make him known, and to give ourselves to being disciples who put ourselves in places where we may hear the word, hear God's yes and no, and learn how we may do what this city desperately needs from us. You see, the happiness we pursue as a church is to know Christ and to make him known. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we're grateful for the ways that this church guides us, channels us, directs our steps. We're grateful for the ways that we know you and love you, for the ways that, that particularly now we are making you known in this city. Speak to each of us and call us to believe in you. Call us to, to set our face for the mission you have given us. Call us to be disciples who listen and learn and grow, learning your yes and no for our lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen.